welcome to the St. Mark Show. Our guests today are, from Crack.com, Michael Swaim, Philly filmmaker, Nick Gregorio, musical guests, there are monsters. I'm your announcer, old-timey radio personality. Theme song by Chico's Vibe. And now, the one, the only, same on himself, Matthew Kelly! Thank you, thank you. All right, all right, let's get started. We got a great show for you tonight. So, uh, No Strings Attached came out earlier this month. Uh, Old Timey, did you uh, get around to seeing any of that? No, sadly, I don't get to take myself into the picture shows anymore. Well, that's too bad. Uh, I saw it, and it's alright, but talk about high expectations. I mean, I had a fucked buddy once, but he looked nothing like Aston Kutcher. He looked more like my left hand. He, He was my left hand. But how about those comics, right? Marvel Comics just killed off one of the members of the Fantastic Four. There goes a perfectly good superhero name, just completely made useless. <laughs> they killed off uh, Human Torch. Flame off. <laughs> Am I right? But seriously, Human Torch will be sorely missed until about 2013 when they bring him back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we start the show... I want to bring out somebody near and dear to me. He's he's from the comedy glory days of vaudeville. He's trying to make a comeback. And I say, what better place than right here on this show? So, now, ladies and gentlemen, that comedic god, Gary Firestein. I thank you. I thank you. You're too kind. So I went to my doctor's the other day, and I told him, Doc, it hurts when I do this. He said, well, then don't do that. <laughs> thank you. It's getting pretty bad out there with crime, though. Did you hear the one about the two peanuts walking down the street? One was assaulted. <laughs> thank you. How... Did the dinosaur come out of the pool? Wet. Uh, thank you. How does the flea start a flea race? One, two, flea, go. Uh, thank you. How do you turn a cat into a dog? Will you pour gasoline on it, and when you light a match, it goes wolf. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. You've been too kind. Now, back to St. Mort and Skyping with the Stars. All right, here we are with our segment. Uh, we have this every month. It's called Skyping with the Stars. Uh, today's star is Michael Swam from Crack.com. How are you doing today, Michael? First, it's Swam, which I think shows what a huge star I am. Absolutely. <laughs> Rhymes with lame is how you remember. I'm doing very well. How about yourself, Matthew? I'm doing I'm doing all right. So Wonderful. I want to talk to you a little bit, first of all, about the the website. Like when I was a kid I loved Cracked Magazine while everyone else was reading Mad around my entire town. Sure. But a uh, rebel. 
but around junior high, I stopped reading, and it wasn't until college when I found out about Crack.com, and it was completely different. Um, I, I didn't even really think it was the same thing until uh, a couple, like, when I first found out, I thought it was just something that stole Crack Magazine's name, but um, I love it even more in the magazine now, but what happened over those 10 years where it went from just pop culture parodies to this website of, like, right. informative and humorous lists? Well, I, I think we could be justly accused of... of having little in common. Um, I mean, definitely, if you put them side by side, there's not a lot of common ground. But uh, in my mind, what sort of provides that connection, and first of all, let me say, I've never had contact with anyone related to the original Crack magazine. Um, And I've said, Dan and I have both said this in several interviews, we'd love to talk to any of those guys. They're all great. Um, But we never hear from them, and there's like, no, there aren't really any Cracks reunions or anything as far as I can tell or we aren't getting invited Uh, but to me you know it's just a generational thing the we have the internet and we have this sort of celebrity culture which certainly has always been with us but it's really hit a peak uh, as far as I can tell recently and that's where we're needed that's where the comedy is taking place that's just the exciting place and you know, a comedian is a comedian is a comedian. In some sense, we just want to make jokes. We get off on making people laugh. So you just point us in a direction. And I think the new Cracked, uh, aside from being very consciously the vision of uh, Jack O'Brien, the editor-in-chief, and, and the whole uh, editorial board, um, I think it also is formed by just nat- the natural landscape of where we find ourselves. But when I look at those old magazines, and it's pretty cool because we've got this room uh, at the office with all the old cracked magazines, uh, the thing that sticks out to me that we do have in common is just the dense intensity of joke. Uh, if you look at one of those panels, you know, Simpson style, they have all the jokes on the signs and little things in the margins doodled, and I really think that's something that is at the core of what we do, and it's still there. Uh, and it's still very cracked, is sort of this Marx Brothers constant stream of of joke. Um, But it's interesting. It is interesting not being in print uh, until now we've got the book out. Uh, And so that's sort of our first new venture into the printed word. And you'll notice that we're not trying to compete with what cracked was, you know. Uh, We're very consciously just trying new things uh, and, and carrying on the banner, you know, we'd like to think we're carrying on the spirit, but again, I have never talked to anyone from Cracked. <laughs> Cracked classic, let's call it. Uh, well, you brought up the book. The book's great. I, I've been reading it. I'm almost done it. Um, what exactly, did you have anything to, you were pushing the book a lot, were you just, did you have anything to do with the book itself, or are you just, you know, a fan of it, pushing it as a work, an employee of uh, Cracked? Uh, Personally, I wrote uh, three of the articles, three chapters, and I have one illustration, which is uh, odd for me, but um, fun. And I got my, I got two bios, which was great. I get an illustrator bio and an author bio. But really, the book is uh, so I was involved in that way. But the book is is all crack contributors and cracked editors. Um, the cracked editorial board minus myself. Um, did all the editing and the rewriting and the organizing and all the illustrations are uh, cracked illustrators Uh, we've got Winston Roundtree in there and Anthony Clark, Nedroid Uh, people who fans of the site will instantly recognize and a lot of our favorite writers we got involved and that's really a huge part of what we do at Cracked we want to be 
the conduit and sort of the beacon and just the hot spot for the next generation of comedians. We want to give people opportunities to go from, as I did, as Dan did, and there's a dozen stories like this, uh, you know, just writing in your college dorm, sending in an article now and then, getting 50 bucks or whatever. And now I work there full time and I'm on the editorial board. And we have people who started writing in the forums and now have book deals. Uh, so it's, to me, the uh, you might be a zombie and other bad news available everywhere. Uh, it's just another extension of that. It's all the goodness that we have found at Cracked and all these great people on the forums coming together, submitting stuff, having it go through the Cracked editorial process, and bang, you got a book. Uh, it was a lot of fun and really cool to watch come together. And I wrote a review recently on the book, and I, I even said, you know, it's uh, where, where it's funny, it also makes you afraid to leave your house in a couple of chapters. <laughs> Thank uh, you. You know, how do you how do you feel, you know, making sure that people are visiting crack.com because they're terrified about being attacked by various animals outside of their Ooh. in their own backyard? I wish that we were that Machiavellian. <laughs> um, but I think it's more that uh, there's a healthy chunk of us that are nerds who genuinely fear the outdoors, so it's a popular topic. <laughs> uh, no, but really um, to me the the, the, the direction of the book and sort of the angle of the book is just what Cracked has been doing, essentially, which is showing you that the world around you is much more interesting and much cooler and weirder and often more dangerous and threatening than all the lies you've been taught by, you know, either omission, uh, you know, history class in elementary school, all these things accrue. Uh, and Cracked is just sort of about finding those interesting, weird factoids that are absolutely true and verifiable that you can't believe. That's like our cross-section. That's where we like to hit. Well, and while that's a big part of Cracked, I think another big part is the, the web shows that you guys have on there, and you've written at least two that I know of. There's probably even more, but Does Not Compute and, and After Hours were probably... After Hours is my favorite web show of all time and does not compute as wow. high up there. But Thank you. You know, what is the writing process of a show like After Hours? Because if you've never seen it, it, to my viewers and listeners, it's such a, such a smart idea of just taking what geeky people do anyway, sit in a diner and talk about pop culture, and turning it into five minutes of comedic brilliance as far as I'm concerned. Wow, thank you very much. Uh, we like to think of it as the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs if they just stayed there and no crime <laughs> unfolded. Um, uh, which is a great segue into the other tidbit I like to drop about After Hours, which is that it is shot at the table from the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I never even know. I'm going to have to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> now to actually answer your question. Uh, I've actually only written one After Hours so far, uh, although I, I'm privileged to be able to provide jokes for a lot but it after hours in particular is very much it takes a village because the topics like you said are these things that sort of come up organically when you're sitting around with your friends and you're all chatting uh so that's we've had an open call uh basically to the cracks team so we've uh soren Bowie has written an episode um jack o'brien has written an episode 
uh, Dan has written an episode. Uh, I, I've written the most re- the Harry Potter one recently was actually the first one I wrote. And the writing process is someone has one of these things, one of these after hours things, which is is pretty tough. That's actually the toughest part. You know, Dan will come in and say, "Oh my God," or or my favorite example, Soren comes in and says, "Oh my God." The four humors correspond to the four Ninja Turtle characters, uh, which is an unreleased episode, by the way. (laughs) That's coming up. But so when you and so he says, okay, I think I have a kernel of a Ninja Turtles episode. And when he can get enough things that fit to make an episode, basically we have the conversation. We sit in a room and we talk it out. And he takes notes and then he writes a rough and we come back and we talk it out again. And and it's sort of it's that whole thing, the writer's room approach, and it seems to work really well for after hours. Uh, whereas other series we've had, like Agents of Cracked and uh, Does Not Compute, which you mentioned, are much more just, I, I'll take this episode, you take this episode, I write this, you know, you get some feedback, etc. But After Hours is very cool because it's it feels very organic. The show is about what we are doing, you know. We have that conversation and then we make it funny and film it. Yeah, it just, uh, I mean, because a lot of the web shows... And not just with you, most web shows nowadays kind of just seem like they're one step away from sketch comedy, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sketch comedy, I think, gets a little bit of a bad name, but there's been so many great sketch comedy groups, even within within our generation of, like, the state and kids in the hall. Hmm. But After Hours takes it to such a different level for me, you know, because I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've had this conversation before, and... Right. Apparently, so have you guys before you read the <laughs> script. <laughs> um, Definitely, we get we hear that a lot, and I and I also have to say that the, of course, the animators add so much. Uh, the whole thing is sort of uh, anim- pop up video style. You know, you got cartoons flying in and out to illustrate our thoughts, which is a very cool feature, I think. Uh, and again, those are all cracked forum people and people, you know, illustrators that have worked with cracked in the past. Uh, it's. We try to do a little of everything, I think. Uh, the wonderful thing about the internet is that there's no outline. There doesn't seem to be any compelling reason not to try any, really anything. I mean, as long as you're being vaguely appealing to some sector of the audience, you're good. Uh, so we've got sitcoms. You know, I would call Agents of Cracked essentially a boiled-down sitcom. We've got a ton of sketch comedy, straight sketch comedy. I'd say that's really our bread and butter. Um, but more and more, we've got these things like After Hours, which I guess is some kind of talk show. Does Not Compute is like a weird Tosh.0 ish thing, I would say, but I existed before him just to get that out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we really, we really feel free to try everything, and I think that's how we chance upon these really cool, unique uh, structures. And After Hours in particular was very much meant to be. The video experience of reading a cracked article. <laughs> well, and it, it works, though. The show the show to me has a lot of, um, you know, you get to know the characters that are clearly characters of yourselves to a certain extent, but you get to understand each one's role. And it almost plays out, uh, in my opinion, like a better version of, say, Always Sunny in Philadelphia because you don't fucking hate the four characters <laughs> in After Hours. Oh my god, I love that show though. Yeah, That's it, it's I love a good show, fun. but it's But just, yeah, those people are monsters, but yeah. they've readily accepted that. I think they've embraced that. But it's it's a fun I, I mean, After Hours is literally one of those things where I actually 
if I see a new episode's on, like up, I'm like, okay, I got like I've been fucking late to work <laughs> before because I was so excited that a new After Hours came up. See, you don't realize, though, as soon as they leave the diner, they're rescuing dumpster babies and trying to tan them. <laughs> you know, they're really awful. <laughs> I believe it. This Katie and Mike are on cocaine most of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so did you, like, for, um, you know, you did the Harry Potter episode. Is it safe to assume you're a big Harry Potter fan in order to do that? Or did you really have to do a lot of research uh, without knowing too much about it to... To put that together. Uh, I think if you would ask the cracked commenters, you would get a resounding, I know nothing about Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but that there tends to be some risk of that anytime with After Hours. Because let's face it, we're making a show purporting to be experts about this topic to the point where we're like nitpicking things about it, you know, to make the basis of the jokes. So you can't help but bring out the inner know-it-all in people so we i don't think we've ever had an after hours i'm probably the worst <laughs> research wise uh, i like to think i make up for it with funny like that's my thing is i just go for the jokes being as funny as possible and if i have to fudge that slytherin is in a tower rather than a dungeon i don't really sweat it many many internet people sweat it a lot um but they, there are people better than me. I would say Dan O'Brien is probably the most scrupulous researcher. We all, we definitely don't write about something that we don't have, at least we feel, some thorough knowledge of. Uh, but yeah, stuff gets by us, and nothing gets by the internet, so you'll find discrepancies. Now, if any of my listeners are sitting there and going, Psh, I could write something for Cracked, can <laughs> they and how can they? Absolutely. Everyone can, and we're always looking for writers. Basically, you just head over to crack.com, click on the forum button at the top, and find the writer's workshop section. And you straight up just start pitching article ideas. Um, you get feedback on articles. If an article gets picked up, it gets on the front page, and you get paid. Uh, it's a really good system. And everyone that's ever come through Cracked, or anyone you're a fan of that works at Cracked now... Uh, started that way or in some way similar to that, uh, just cold submitting. And of everywhere I've been involved with uh, comedically, especially online, Cracked is the widest open door. It's really easy to get in. <laughs> All right, Otherwise, well, I wouldn't be there. All right, well, thank you, Mike. Uh, the book is You May Be a Zombie and Other Bad News. Yep. Uh, that's available in stores everywhere. Uh, we'll be right back after this brief commercial break. Billy is just your everyday ordinary teenager, except his dad is the President of the United States. But when a gang of skateboarding ninjas start terrorizing the country, there's no other option but to outlaw skateboarding altogether. Billy's world gets turned upside down. I'm sorry, Youth of America, but my hands are tied on this one. If you're seen skateboarding, you'll be arrested and fined. No, you can't do this, Dad! But when the president is kidnapped, it's up to the president's rebellious son and a bunch of ragtag high school outcasts to save the president and help the youth of America get their favorite pastime back. This isn't just about skateboarding. It's about the First Amendment of skateboarding in the Disney Channel exclusive Permission to Board, airing this Friday. And he's also got a new short up called Christmas Spoiled, 
Greg, ah, Nick Gregorio. <laughs> hey, hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So, I see you green. Uh, I got a copy of it, and it's really, really good. It's one of the tightest independent films I think I've I've seen. It's it's you know. Wow. Thank you. It, it <laughs> creates these characters. It feels like within 10, 15 minutes, you know everything that you need to know about these characters, and you just want to see where that story is going to take you. Um, where did the where did the concept come from, Green? Because I know of your your film past was a little bit more sketch comedy ish, and I I didn't know what to expect when I got this movie, and I was really taken aback by the fact that it's a little bit more of an action drama with just hints of comedy than yeah. a, than actual comedy. Um, well, first I got to shout out Troy Kaplan, my business partner on this. Me and him are childhood friends, and we're also co writers and co executive producers. So. Uh, it was. It kind of stems from an earlier script I had called an American classic, and I was out in LA and I was kind of like pitching this concept, a very like Gatsbyan, you know, <laughs> Count of Monte Cristo type tale. Uh, and I was I was in a meeting with like this producer, and he was like, "Yeah, I like it. Like, you know, it's good." He was like, "But no one wants to see movies like that." He was like, "Got to sprinkle something on it." And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" He literally said, "You have to sprinkle something on it." He's like, "You know, like The Sopranos, it's Shakespeare with some gangsters sprinkled on it." <laughs> So I leave the meeting, I'm like fuming, I go home and uh, I was living with my friend Troy at the time. And Troy is kind of big in, in the cannabis culture, like the medicinal cannabis culture there. And I was like, I should just make a movie about weed. I'll just sprinkle weed all over an American <laughs> classic and we'll call that a fucking feature. And he's like, well, if you make it a comedy, I'm in. And I was like, really? And I was like, no, I can't do that. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm really not into the, the cannabis culture and that's really not my style. Um, and I said, fuck it, let's do it. And we sat down and we kind of hashed out these characters and this uh, this very realistic. I, I like to take the real world and just put a little bit of a spin on it, so it's not too far away from reality. But uh. well, and it's an interesting cast of characters. It really yeah. is. <laughs> uh, this you know one of the sponsors of the show is Geekscape, obviously, and you know you have Jonathan London out there doing the best John Leguizamo impersonation <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like what kind of favor did he call did you have to call in to get Jonathan to do something that ridiculous uh, the character of when Horacio. you wrote that were you like this is Jonathan's character or? everyone in the movie was written for a specific actor right. um, that, that's uh, part of my philosophy with independent filmmaking is I take a budget I take a cast and I take a crew and then I work backwards and develop a script from that um, and I kind sense. of, you know, like I, I spoke with Troy and, and kind of told him, I was pitching this idea for a $5,000 feature film. Mm -hmm. And I told Jonathan about it. I told uh, Paul Soder from Broken Lizard about it. I said, yeah. if you have a large fan base, you can create a movie for no money, sell it directly to them at $5 a DVD, yeah. and you will make like $50 million. Like if you have the large enough fan base. Like a company like Broken Lizard can make this no budget movie, yeah. sell just to their Facebook fans. And make enough money to finance ten yeah, pictures. I don't even think Slam and Sa uh, Salmon or whatever the yeah. one's called even was in theaters. No, it, it, but everyone that I've talked to who's a Broken Lizard fan has it and has seen it. Exactly, <laughs> and that, that's the concept. But why spend five to ten million dollars when you can spend nothing, like close to yeah. nothing, with today's technology, and people will still buy it as long as it's done correctly. Well, I think a lot of people are turning more towards the independents, more and more each year. And I know it's cliche to say that, but it's true. Because we've seen what Hollywood can do, and they don't seem, you know, every once in a while you'll get like a Scott Pilgrim or something like that that does something really different. But yeah. for the most part, 
you know, I, everyone I talk to tells me they've, they've been going to the theater less each year and stuff like that, and most of them only spend their money at the Ritz to see yeah. the slightly more interesting films that they haven't seen before. Uh, there used to be a stigma about straight to DVD or straight to on-demand or straight to the internet of, like, it's going to be a, a poor quality film. Yeah. But in reality, it's very expensive to release a picture in theaters. I mean, when, with Harris Malden, uh, the first picture that yeah. I collaborated with Sweaty Robot, um, when I was speaking to Landmark Theaters, the people that run the Ritz, they said that you need at least $5 million in marketing dollars for them to show your movie in their theater. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Harris Malden's budget was $50,000. <laughs> like, where are we going to find another $5 million to, to make billboards and commercials yeah. and advertisements? And, and they're dead serious. So yeah. the, the reason a lot of movies are going straight to DVD or straight to on-demand, it's just it, it's practicality. It's economical. Like, that's a very simple answer. There's a uh, there's a group of filmmakers who I'd love to get on the show eventually who did a a horror movie and it's not a very good horror movie but it's an interesting <laughs> horror movie uh, called Thanks Killing about a killer turkey killing people on Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, but what's cool is on their website their their movies available in Best Buy and on Amazon.com and on Netflix and their website is completely step by step how you can get your own product into Best Buy's Amazon and Netflix really? without any studio funding and I was like that is the fact that they not only figured out how to do it but said fuck it the entire website for Thanks Kelly is going to be dedicated to how to get wow. your movie in a store like I feel like more independent more independent filmmakers need to start working together like that and sharing each other's secrets instead yeah. of nothing pisses me off more than when you're talking to a, a young filmmaker or an up and coming filmmaker and you ask them like oh how'd you do this camera trick and they just don't want to tell you like they <laughs> You know, that's not what you're, you know, you're not Spielberg, you're not Lucas, and even they're telling us how they yeah. do shit. Like, the bottom line is, and, and I find this to be true all the time, is I can tell you all my secrets. You can take one of my scripts, you can rip off my ideas, but to go out and do it, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot harder. To, like, I can tell you, like, yeah, I shot this all in one day, like Christmas Spoil, we shot all in one day, had a great cast and crew, everyone worked really hard, but do you really want to shoot an entire short film in one day? Like, that's how you get it done, though. Sometimes yeah. that's what it takes. Well, that was the one advice I got. Um, last, last episode, I interviewed Tommy Avalone and his producer, Booch. And, uh, you know, I'd mentioned how Fluffy the Zombie Slayer had taken, is still taking seven years now from the first time it came about. And their advice to me was, well, he said, you've been shooting on weekends, haven't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's what's going to, he's like, I've learned that you either make a movie in two weeks or you make it over seven years because if you divide up too much time, people people start losing interest. You have to keep them quickly occupied while their attention spans there and focused. Uh, that's that's probably that's that's very good advice. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, Quentin Tarantino has a quote that if you want to make a movie, just go out and make it. Yeah. And I took that to heart early on in my film career because you have to do it. Like you can't wait for the perfect script and you can't wait for the perfect set of circumstances. Take what you have, work with that, and then try to develop something that, you know, it doesn't have to be, people know that it's an indie movie, that you're, it's your first movie, it's your second movie. They're not going to see, you know, a, a, what's it, Attack of the Clones. Like, yeah. They're not expecting like 40,000 visual effect <laughs> shots and, you know. Um, but if you can capture their attention and their imagination for 80 minutes, like you've won. Yeah. Of course, there's always going to be problems, but if you can... If you can get them to sit there and watch your entire picture, I mean, you're, you're a success. Now, Green was shot in both Philly and Los Angeles, correct? 
Or was um, it all... All Los Angeles. All Los Angeles, even mm-hmm. the scenes in Philly in the beginning. Yeah, except for uh, there's some B-roll shot with a 16-millimeter Bolex camera. All right. And that's when the uh, opening shots of the skyline in Philadelphia, yeah. that was shot in Philadelphia, uh, obviously. And shots of Cole, the lead character, when he references his past yeah. activities in Philadelphia. That's some Bolex footage. Well, that's that's okay. I didn't know that. I thought that you would, because I remember you. I remember you being on Geekscape to shoot Jonathan's scenes, and I was like, okay, I guess they shot like a couple days in Philly to get their Philly sequences, and then shot everything else in LA. But see, the magic of filmmaking. We we shot everything in two and a half weeks straight with the red camera, mm-hmm. um, a crew of three people, like a sound recorder. Camera operator slash cinematographer Marco Matarazzi, shout out to him. Right. Marco is a big part of why the picture looks as good as it looks. Uh, and Troy Kaplan and like Craig DeFrancia as AD, just watching the monitor while I was on camera. And you know, we there was no reshoots, so everything that we got, we shot in those two and a half weeks for Green. I mean, it's a good film. Like, it's, there's Thank nothing you. more I can say. Now, where can people listening see the movie? Uh, well, right now. Um, Actually, when this airs, it'll probably be over the contest. But they can go to www.greenthemotionpicture.com and buy a copy of the DVD. But hopefully, when you're hearing this, it will have won uh, the Amazon Studios competition uh, for $100,000. But <laughs> if it doesn't, you know, oh well. <laughs> and uh, are there any other projects around the corner? Or are you kind of just doing the short films like Christmas Boiled for now? Um, the cr- Christmas Boiled was... I wanted to utilize... Uh, the new Canon 5D Mark II, just to get familiar with the equipment and a new concept that I have for like recording sound well, with digital recorders and stuff like that. Trying to just work out the kinks in doing a really low budget but still high quality final product. So that that's what the Christmas spoil was. Um, you know, it's really I want to do another feature. I think yeah. you know, uh, shorts are great. You know, they're they're a good way to practice and hone your skills. But at the end of the day, people only care about feature films. Now, unfortunately. Um, you know, you've done, you've directed two features so far. Uh, Happy Birthday, Harris. Malden. Malden. Yeah. I always forget his last name. And uh, Green, do you think, you know, the next film, do you think it's going to continue the pathway that Green's gone? Or do you think eventually we'll start seeing a little bit more of a merge between the, the action drama and the kind of sketchy comedy mixed in? Because what's kind of cool about Green is that the way I described it to my one friend was I said, it's kind of like Pineapple Express if you got rid of the really dumbed-down stoner humor. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, that was, we actually had a joke that uh, never made it to the movie because uh, we didn't want to like offend anyone, but there was going to be, in the Garden of Weed, there was going to be a strain of weed called Pineapple Express. And a guy goes up to the counter. He's like, "Can I get, you know, like an eighth of Pineapple Express?" I'm like, "Nah, it's really bad. You don't want to try it. <laughs> like, you think it's going to make you laugh a lot, but then you hit it and you're just kind of bored and <laughs> zone out." And uh, we we nixed the joke just because we didn't want people to see it and think that we were going to be haters right out of the yeah. gate. So, uh, no, um, my goal is to create uh, quality pictures. I don't I don't I don't set out to just be like, "I'm going to make a comedy." Yeah, I'm going to make like Harris Malden. I consider a dramedy. It was like a lot of, there was, the, the subject matter on the surface looks very like, what's this going to be, like a slapstick comedy, but it kind of, it delves deeper into the drama, and I, I just like telling real stories, and yeah. yes, there's exaggerated characters and exaggerated circumstances, but um, I like keeping things very close to reality, or 
reality as I see it. I don't know. Um, and the next picture, I'd love to do uh, a mass vigilante picture. I'd, uh, I'd love to do uh, a gangster picture, like a straight up uh, Italian homage gangster picture. Um, and I wouldn't mind doing some, some some kids' pictures. I think with doing the Christmas spoiled and kind of delving into that, you know, like old school Goonies kind of. Yeah. It's a children, it's a G or PG rated picture, but you still have a lot of suspense. You have a lot of drama. Like the stakes are really high. Where I, I think uh, entertainment for younger kids is very like polished and glossy. And their their biggest problem is like my cell phone broke or yeah. like I'm not a movie star yet. Like I, I kind of want to delve into the imagination and fun that I remember our the movies we grew up with were. Yeah, I, when I saw Christmas Spoiled, I couldn't help but think it, it had a lot of elements of, of Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and um, Scrooge and these movies that you saw as kids in the late 80s and early 90s, yeah. but they were PG-13 movies or, or, you know, almost PG. I think Labyrinth's PG, but it might be PG-13. I can't it's remember. It's PG, but it's adult subject matter, it's, you know? Like, there's no cursing or nudity, but everything else is... There's so those movies came with such deeper mm-hmm. concepts. I mean, I didn't even understand it as a kid yeah. too much, but rewatching Labyrinth, I see how much that movie's about taking responsibilities and growing up and, and becoming an adult. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you don't notice as a kid, but you see it as an adult, and that's what makes it such a great kid's movie. But it also, I, as a kid, you don't completely understand it, but I think it's something where it's it's permeating your subconscious, like it's yeah. getting in there, and you're you're learning a, a valuable lesson, and that's what I was trying to do with Christmas yeah. Spoiled. It's it's about this consumerism, and, and today Christmas is every day for some, yeah. for most, for everyone. You know, like yeah. you can go buy a, a fifteen hundred dollar TV tomorrow. Like I'm gonna put on my credit card, Christmas, yay! Like there's all <laughs> these. Uh, it's almost become ridiculous to think that you even need a day where you spoil children because yeah. they're constantly being. And that, that, that was kind of the message I was trying to say. Well, and I like that it's kind of, of a creepy movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's a creepy short. Well, there's a quote, despite you know how you may or may not feel about the movie, there was a quote from Tim Burton about the Alice in Wonderland movie where he said, why have we become so concerned with scaring kids? Being scared is one of the best parts about yeah. being a kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, even The Wizard of Oz, that I see your like, desktop background yeah. right now, but <laughs> the Wizard of Oz is scary. The flying monkeys are scary. The witch is scary. The stakes are high in that movie. You know, like it's life or death. It's not. Yeah, oh it's, my God! I, I hope I can get a new purse. Yeah. yeah, like I mean that, and that's that's kind of what the Christmas spoiled is. Like, will they see their parents again? Like, has their greed completely like abandoned them and left them, you know, to the mercy of the ghost of Christmas future? Now, if the listeners want to see Christmas spoiled, is there a certain site that they can go to, or is it just YouTube <laughs> in general? Uh, check. Search for it on YouTube or Vimeo, um, right. or friend me on Facebook. I'll pretty much accept <laughs> any friend request. Nick Gregorio. I need to spell that for him. G R E G O R I O. All right. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, and the website is greenthemotionpicture.com. I yes. believe I said green the movie in the beginning, and I apologize. Um, I recommend everyone check it out. Thank you so much for your time, Nick. Thanks for having me, Matt. And now a St. Moore Show public service announcement. Hi, this is Matt Kelly of the St. Mort Show. I want to talk to you a little bit about self-esteem. It might shock some of you, but I once had low self-esteem. I wasn't good with the girls. Kind of lonely. It's alright. It can happen to anybody. But I'm here to tip you in on a little secret. They're called roofies. They're the cupid of the next generation. 
I use them. So do all my friends. So how about you kick up that self-esteem a little bit with just a tiny little date rape drug. This is Matt Kelly giving you the information that you need to know. Ladies and gentlemen, there are monsters! drinking at night and <laughs> somehow like the songs turn out really really good and we were just rolling with it yeah I, I'd say that's about what happened we actually started uh, it was like October of 2008 I think and uh, we just uh, you know we got tired of listening to like all these bands trying to be like uh, you know out to save the world or whatever like you know let's just get drunk and sing about what what we like you know horror movies comic books you know stupid crap and it actually started sounding pretty good so we started to roll with it right there yeah we write songs about like stupid stuff that would happen in our lives like uh buying a six-pack and walking the wawa and going to pinocchios and stuff like that and just stuff that would happen to us in media and uh we'd write down lyrics and form a uh a guitar uh, you know guitars and bass and drums and Put the lyrics to it and even though it sounded you know pretty stupid at the time we'd listen to it 10 20 times later and you know it actually sounded good and other people it sounded good to them too so we just kept on rolling with it how did uh, matt get involved well i i think the way it worked was 
Ryan and I used to get drunk before this. And, <laughs> yeah, before uh, there was there are monsters. It was the Delco Project. The Delco Project, <laughs> yes, where we wrote a couple songs about you know how Ryan had died and we ate him at a Chinese buffet and, and a camel toe just, at the Springfield Mall. Yeah, and just a whole bunch of shit like that. And I think they were trying to expand on their sound and. I wanted to just play music, so Ryan told James about me having a bass, and I got to play bass for a while. Because yeah, that, that was the prerequisite. You gotta have a bass, dude. Well, I do. You're in. There's no, there's no lie. I'm the least musically talented out of all of us. So I was like, oh well, James knows what he's doing. Matt kind of knows what he's doing. I have no fucking clue. So uh, yeah, Matt should be in the band just to give us credibility. <laughs> now, a large, if you listen to the band, a large portion of the songs, I would say probably about ninety. Five percent are about horror movies, so I'm just curious. Each one of you guys' uh, favorite horror movie? Uh, Evil Dead. James, I'm gonna have to go with a movie I just saw recently, uh, The Descent. That was a really good movie. And Matt just started watching horror movies this year, so. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a Disney fiend. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. I just enjoy the overall aspect of horror movies and the fact that you get to see a lot more boobs in them. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, def- we, def- we definitely stole from the Misfits, like, oh, I just watched a horror movie, let's write a two and a half minute song about it, like, and call it the name of the movie, it's just, it's, it's, it might sound difficult, but it's actually really pretty easy to well, come up with two and a half minutes of a song about a horror movie, even if you're just repeating the title of the horror movie for 90 seconds. Well, and it, I mean, I clearly you guys, exactly. clearly you guys don't take anything too seriously, I mean, when I... When you had found out that last uh, episode I had George Hardy on, you were like, oh, we're kind of like the Troll 2 of music anyway. Yeah, we're, like, we're, we're the music, but Troll 2 is the movies. I mean, we're just, we're not taking anything seriously. We know we sound corny, but, um, you know, it just it just works for some reason. I don't I don't know. It just, it just, it doesn't sound like crap. It sounds good. And it sounds explain. better than poop in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing what we like. We, we keep it simple and we keep it at that. We do what we like. And... I mean, if, if Danzig can write a song called Return of the Fly, then we can definitely do I Spit on Your Grave or Humanoids from the Deep or Shockwaves or, you know. What's a, what's a film that you haven't tackled yet but, but you want to musically? Jeez, I don't know. Um, there's got to be, like... Uh, he, he's constantly sending me text messages throughout the day. We gotta write a song called yeah, this. Like, uh, we should. I want to do a song about like Desperado or like I don't know. We already did Humanoids from the Deep, like Piranha. There's definitely gotta be a song about Piranha. We have an Evil Dead song that needs to, needs to be flushed out, and um, I don't know, like maybe a song about like Dead Alive or Bad Taste or. Um, Some of those old Peter Jackson films. Yeah, def- yeah definitely that. Yeah. yeah, we've definitely considered what? No pudding. Yeah. <laughs> <And> the, <laughs> the bastards have landed. The bastards have landed. I mean, um, the bastards have landed has been a, a song idea for a long time. Uh, so And Feast. I mean, so how come we haven't made a song about Feast? We yet? should just cover the uh, song at the end of uh, the third one. <laughs> yeah. By the man. Oh, yeah, and it as man. What, what a piece of shit Feast 3 was, and then that ending just made up for everything. Well, how about the second there? one that midgets run around with a giant. <laughs> the, the midgets run around with a giant something wang the so, whole movie. It's just like something went so wrong with. Like, Feast 1 was so great, and it you just was. kept watching the sequels, like, it's gotta get better. Kenny like, right? Rollins has to come back. And it's like, alright, this is completely. Completely different movie, but this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. Like you said, the midget running around with a boner, like hitting the freaking ground when he's running. You're like, all right, right, 
Wait, isn't that the one where the baby's flying check in the out air the for lesbian, five minutes and the he lesbian just biker catch just flats on the ground? Remember we were dying yeah. for like half an hour? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the dude and then PS3 came out, like you said, it was a giant piece of crap. And you're like, what the hell? And they, they kind of redeemed themselves by having like the whole giant I'm not going to ruin it. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to ruin the spoiler part when you see it. Like every day they came out, like, I got to go to the mall and buy the new Feast No, I did too, and I would watch it with my friend every time. And each time he'd be like, what the Fuck are you doing? And now it's like, like you can buy all three for nine ninety nine at Walmart. I'm like what an idiot I am. I don't know. We we were watching it. And that, I spent sixty bucks on that. That that Girl fucking three. transformer like uh, squash him. And I seriously did a what? You rewind. Yeah. You had to rewind it. You stop and you rewind. You're like what? Like you're trying to think if there was any hint that right, that right. might happen. I'm pretty sure I said it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's so uh, the last I checked, your CDs are coming out. You're doing three or four EPs just at like. Random times. I know you did Evolution Now and Season of the Witch. Is there any tentative release date for the rest of it, or is no, it just not 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 really. Um, uh, Evolution Now was our actual um, full-length CD, all of 28 minutes, and uh, <laughs> we've been just and recording sweet. and releasing four songs at a time. Um, we really have no plans uh, as of now to uh, record uh, any more EPs. Right now, we're trying to concentrate on uh, you know going out and playing a couple live gigs. And we have like the you know maybe a lost track CD. Yeah, like to call the Lost Boys coming out. Right, we there's have lots of uh, songs that never about, made it on the actual. About EPs. forty-five songs. <laughs> yeah, there's no about shit. sixty songs. I remember. No shit. Forty-five songs recorded for Evolution Now. The first thing I was ever sent was you sent me the ten-second song about Ace from from. No, it was Paul Stanley. It was Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley. Yeah, we have a lot of songs that we wrote. We recorded. That's actually that a good we, wind up on and that. Uh, that we forget two. about. And then we listen to the songs, you're like, oh yeah. Oh man, I forgot. There's like maybe 30, 40 songs that we wrote, recorded, and completely forgot about. Yeah, like, Human Eyes in the Deep, them. which is like our surf rock song. <laughs> like, completely. It's like 15 minutes. It's like a 15 minute jam song. It's just like surf One rock. One of them is uh, it's called Acknowledging Akbar, and it's pretty much a two second song, and it's like, it's a trap! <laughs> And that, that's it. We have, like, Dr. Scully Fingers and... Moment of Silence. Yeah, that, Moment that of Silence. One, and... Which is 30 seconds of... That, you know? Yeah. Black, <laughs> ladder match. Black Fang, Ladder Black, match. Yeah. I mean, the the, like, the so-called uh, Necronomicon X, the, the Evil right. Dead song. I, re- I really liked the uh, the Piss Shiver song. That was pretty yeah, good. Piss Shiver. You know, when you go in the bathroom when you're taking the leak, <laughs> and all of a sudden you get that weird, like, What the fuck is that? <laughs> And that's pretty much the song. Piss Shiver, what the fuck is that? <laughs> With a pretty killer metal. It's pretty funny because it's like all it like... It is heavy. <laughs> it starts off like this big intro, you know, 30 second intro. You think it's going to rock and it's just like, Piss Shiver, what the fuck is that? Our, is our genesis of songs would be me, would be like, oh, I have an idea for a song. Here's two verses and two choruses. And then like the next day, James would have a guitar beat and drums and bass. And the, ne- the next day, it would be recorded and... There must be like thirty songs that are just spur of the <laughs> right, right. and then like uh, six months later for me to get around to mixing it. Yeah, yeah. It, it just they don't they don't sound like I don't know they don't sound bad. I guess we're just following. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna say it again. We totally rip off the Misfits, and there's no. Well, yeah, you know they they were one of our uh, big influences. But let's uh, address the. Well, who uh, are some of your biggest the, influences? The elephant in the room right here. Our biggest influence would have to be uh, Shonen Knife. You know, you can't you can't be an Asian female. 
musician without yeah. being, and obviously we're all three Asian yeah. female musicians. I have to squint real hard to look at those lyrics. <laughs> no, no, for, I am not sure. I'm also influenced a lot by uh, the Chimos, previously known as Balls Deep. No, we're King influenced Dork. by the Misfits, Johnny Cash, the Ramones, Motorhead. I mean, just like that simple, you know, punk rock, you know, you, you do it because you like it, you do it because it feels natural. It's not, you know, we're not trying to make songs that, you know, we're going to hear on the radio or number one hits. It's just like, there's songs that we can think of, there's songs that we can play, there's songs that we can write, there's songs that we record, and it just somehow works. I mean, it's just, it's definitely got that punk rock vibe, and, you know, we're a little bit horror punk, and... You know, we, we try to be as metal as we can, and we try to be as acoustic. And I mean, there even some there's some country. When we do acoustic songs, the country vibe comes through. I think really, really well. And uh, I mean, that you know, there's the Johnny Cash for you, and the Ramones, and uh, definitely the the Misfits and well, Motorhead. I, I think a lot. <laughs> of I used that... to sing like Lemmy from Motorhead when I was drunk. It was a lot easier to sing in that really gnarly voice. But now, like two years later, I can't sing in that voice anymore. It just hurts too much. So I better get used to it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming by. Um, what, where can people check out your stuff if they uh, wanted to listen to some more? We music? have uh, we have a page on uh, on the Facebook. We got a page on the MySpace. You know, we have with MohawkRadio.com. MohawkRadio.com. You just put in there monsters, and you can actually download our music on there. MySpace. Right. Yeah, there's a MySpace page. I don't think it's been updated in like three years. Man, but you got you got to learn how to social network here, brother. Yeah. Yeah, Says the man with no social man, network right now. The only one he talks to is my sister on Facebook. Hey, man, it's well worthwhile. That's funny, because <laughs> that's the only person I talk to on Facebook. <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, Chico's Vibe will play us out, and tune in next week. St. Mort Show is brought to you by Geekscape.net and is produced by Powerdown Productions. It features music from Team Goldie and Chris Carfagno. You can visit our house band Chico's Vibe at their website, chicosvibe.com, and it also contains jokes and skits written by Graham Williams and Eric Sipos. Thank you for listening.